0: Good morning. Afternoon. Afternoon. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know whether some of you may have seen this article in the Straits Times of 20th August. Okay. Uh, it's written by one of the editors, I think. Uh, the title of the article is Fake News Truth is Dead. Okay. So he was bemoaning that nowadays, and I think we all. Know that very well, right? We live in an age where sometimes it's hard to pin down the truth. People offer so many different opinions and views. We have access to all sorts of channels, the internet, the social media. Huh? Uh, sometimes, you know, it takes so it takes so much difficulty to find out what is the truth. And so so actually you look like just like that picture there, right? Uh You've got to sort out all the fake news before you arrive at the truth. And sometimes it's just too troublesome. So we just say, let's leave it. You know, Let's just leave all this alone. Well, I, I myself have been uh, duped by fake news. Let me share with you my story. Okay? You know, when uh, 11 years ago, uh, I was going to move back to my mother's house because uh, my mother is getting old and uh, we want to look after her. Uh, so my children were very happy to move to my mother's house because it is a, a, a terrace house, so they could keep a dog, okay? So they were excited, the prospect of having a dog. So we were deciding, what kind of dog should we have, yeah? Uh, so I was more for a dog that could actually, not only we could play with, but help us to look after the house as well. So a guard dog was one of my criteria, okay? Uh, but my children, after checking, checking through, they decided, oh, they like Shetland sheepdog because it's so cute, Okay? <laughs> Then one day, my son pulled out this article from the internet, you know, to show me Shetland Sheepdog, good watchdog, you know. So I took a look at it, read it, and said, okay, okay. So I decided to give in, and we bought a Shetland Sheepdog. So for 11 years, we've had this dog. I I, I don't have a picture, unfortunately, but it looks something like the one on the right. <laughs> uh, this dog is very cute. We love this dog. But this dog is absolutely the worst watchdog guard dog ever, <laughs> okay? So this dog is so friendly. Whenever anybody comes in, stranger or somebody knows, he will always welcome the person. Okay, uh, so hopeless guard dog. And if there comes to trouble, you'll be the first one to run away. <laughs> okay? So I was conned, conned by my son, uh, and uh, conned by fake news, right? But sometimes I think you know, there's a lot more at stake than just which is the right dog to choose. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes the truth matters much more than that. The truth matters because it could be a matter of life and death. Or it could be a matter of eternal destiny. So it's important that we hold on to the truth. And that's really, we're coming to talk about what today we're going to talk about. Peter warns us of the dangers of false teachers and false teaching. Because that detracts us from the truth. So we're now in the second chapter of Peter. You know, Peter has a second. Peter has three chapters, right? The first chapter talks about that God has given us everything that we need to live a holy and godly life, okay? So everything has been provided by God. Then chapter 3, if we jump on, says that, you know, one day Christ will come again and the whole earth and even the heavens will be destroyed. But our hope is that Christ will bring us back to Him and into a new heaven and a new earth. So therefore, since we have this hope, it is our motivation to live a holy and godly life. Okay? So we have holy and godly life, first chapter, we have holy and godly life, the third chapter, and in between, this is where the warning on heresy comes in. It says, make sure none of us get tripped up by false teaching and lose our way in this journey of living a holy life with God. Okay? So Peter wants us in chapter 1, he says, make your calling and election sure, right? And in chapter 3, he says, be on your guard so that you will not fall from your very secure position. So it's this message that Peter is writing to us, this warning that he gives to us. So what is our calling really, you know? Peter talks about our calling and election. There are really two parts to this calling, right? Jesus came to call us to himself. And Jesus came... The first part is Jesus came to save us from from what? In the Bible, it tells us when Jesus was about to be born, it says, Jesus, you have to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? So that's what Jesus came to save us from so that we could be saved from our sins. We know In God's eyes, sin is a very damaging thing for us, right? Our eternal destiny is damnation if we don't have, uh, if we continue in sin and if nothing is done about our sin. That's why Jesus had to come, right? To save us from our sin, right? But that's only one part of the story. Jesus came to save us from our sin, but Jesus also came to save us for something, right? So what did Jesus come to save us for? So Peter reminds us, right? Of course, Jesus came to save us, uh, to be in heaven with him. Jesus came to save us, to have a relationship with him. But Peter reminds us that, you know, Jesus came to save us also to be restored to the image of God. We were all made in the image of God. And we lost that, right? When we sinned. But Peter is saying that we are all, Jesus came to save us, to be restored to the image of God, to live a godly life, and to participate in the divine nature, right? So Peter reminds us about that. Well, some of you, before I get into the topic of heresies, may be thinking, I can't think of any her- heresies, you know, that are hounding us, right, at the moment. Uh, and, and, you know, in church, they seem to preach uh, <laughs> correct stuff, you know. Uh, what, what heresies? What heresies do I need to be worried about, okay? Uh, do I need to be worried about any heresies in the first place? Well, Second Peter starts off by addressing that very question, right? Peter says, Peter tells the Christians, right? He says, let's read this together. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Okay? So Peter's warning is, there will be okay, false teachers among you. Right, That means in the church. Right? Maybe not in this church, but in the church somewhere. There will be false teachers among you. And they will introduce heresies. So Peter is warning us, you may not think so at the present. You look around and say everything looks fine, but the Word of God, and Peter tells us, there will be. And not only that, many will follow. Yeah, So we are warned, right? It's also quite interesting to know uh, that if you look at the Bible, right? The New Testament has 27 chapters, right? At least 20 of them contain something, some warning about false teaching and false teachers, yeah? So if the Word of God wants to tell us multiple times, right, uh, I think it is something that we should take note of. Jesus himself told us that in the last days, there will be false prophets. Right, So watch out for this. So if not pre- in present, then in future, we must always be alert. And the other thing about heresy is that maybe some of us feel that yeah, you know, in those days, uh, uh, people were not so knowledgeable, not so educated. I'm different, right? I know quite a lot. I know my Bible pretty well. You know, I have access to the Bible nowadays. Uh, I can see through these things, you know, I won't get conned by them, right? But it's quite interesting as we look at Second Peter 2. Again, the same verse, but this time we see that it talks about the false teachers secretly introducing heresies. But actually if you look at the rest of the chapter and they talk about the false teachers, it says it's very obvious that these false teachers they are behaving badly, you know, their conduct is very bad. How can people actually be taken in by them? How can they still be secretly introducing heresies? Yeah? So I think it happens this way, right? False teachers don't come with you blaring and say, you know, tell you all the wrong stuff, right? They actually tell you a lot of right stuff there's a lot of truth in what they say right but here and there there's a little bit of error there's a little bit of uh, overemphasis on certain areas to the to the neglect of others yeah uh, so when we get this package we take a look at this whole package uh, it it looks it can be deceiving right it, we can be taken in by it right so that is the warning that we think we are sophisticated some of this uh, false teaching can be equally sophisticated and sometimes they even get into the word of god right and say that actually the bible is saying this when actually it is saying something else yeah so this is how we can be taken in so let's pay heed okay to what peter is saying he spends one whole uh, chapter in fact one whole in fact the whole book really the trust of it is that please don't get turned back into the way of destruction again right but keep on the right path okay and be careful about this heresies don't fall into them so be on your guard peter says so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position so i want to talk about heresies in three aspects number 1 what is the destructiveness of heresies okay and actually if you look at it the whole entire chapter from verse 1 to 22 is scattered uh, with various pictures of the destructiveness of false teachers and heresies. right? Then the next point is about deceptiveness. Deceptiveness so that we understand how we can be deceived uh, and understand how we could be vulnerable to heresies. And lastly, most important, what is our defense against these heresies? Okay. So firstly, Peter uses a very strong word Adjective in his description of heresies, it says destructive, right? In the King James Version, it says damnable, right? That means it, ca- it causes us to face damnation if we follow them. But what is heresies? Heresies is translated uh, either as false teaching heresies as we know it, or sometimes it's translated as factions, okay? So the very first danger of heresies is that sometimes it causes factions in the church, right? It causes disunity. It causes people to, you know, Uh, align with uh, one group or another group, uh, and it causes uh, divisions. In Romans 16, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Okay, so our first warning is that People who are causing divisions, right? It's something that uh, we need to watch out for that causes destruction to the church. Secondly, and a more serious element of destructiveness, I think. We can learn from the condemnation that is given to the false teachers, okay? Uh, Many, many words is used to describe in this chapter what is the fate that will await the false teachers. You know, things like, Words like destruction, condemnation, judgment, punishment, harm, you know, blackness, darkness is reserved for them, etc. So all you can see that is Peter is very strong. Peter is very strong against these false teachings and false teaching. But why? What, what is it about them that uh, makes him, you know, say that they deserve all this? And actually, it is not so much about the false teaching per se, but it's what the false teaching leads people to do. And the false teaching basically leads people to deny Jesus, right? To deny the Lord and what He's really done, or aspects of what He has done for us. Yeah? Uh, and it also tells people that it's fine. You know, you can carry on to live uh, immoral lives. It's fine. You know, uh, and they get deceived and they go back to what was what exactly Jesus came to save us from. So this is the more destructive element of false teaching. So let me get into that. Firstly, it says, because they denied the Lord, right? Second Peter. So let's read this uh, passage from Corinthians together, 2 Corinthians. It says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Or if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you receive, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So this is another warning from somewhere else in the Bible that tells us that if we hear about Jesus, different from what we have been taught, right? Uh, If we hear about another gospel that's different from what we have been taught, right? The gospel tells us we are saved by faith alone. But if something somebody comes along and tells us, no, it's saved plus circumcision or saved plus you know, you must do this or you must do that. That is not the gospel. That is the truth. Right? We must reject that. Yeah? So because we deny the law and what he's done for us, that is a danger for us. That can be a danger for us. Secondly, it also says the false teachers sanction shameful ways. In other words, false teachers are saying it's okay, right? It's fine uh, to go back to your immoral lives. But when the word of God is very clear, the word of God is very clear, it says all these acts, all these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, etc., etc., discord, right? It says that those who did this and who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the word of God is very clear, right? That all these things are not acceptable to God and, if you, and these people who do them will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And Ephesians 5, it says, you can be sure of this, right? No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ." and of God. So anything that tells us that, you know, it is fine to continue to live a moral life is totally against what God's word is saying in various places, right? So the false teachers are leading these people back down to the road of destruction. And Peter tells uh, a few stories that talks about the doom that awaits false teachers. Peter talks about three stories. Peter talks about the angels, the fallen angels who are now sent to hell because they disobeyed God. Peter talks about uh, the days of Noah when people were doing wicked things right, and God had to send a flood and wipe out the entire earth except for Noah and his family. And Peter talks about the days of Sodom and Gomorrah where people were living uh, uh, wicked and unrighteous and God sent a, sul- a rain of sulfur on Southern Gomorrah and destroyed it. So Peter is trying to tell all these stories to say that a similar fate awaits false teachers and those who follow them actually, right? Because you are continuing in your wicked and righteous ways and you are actually just asking for God's punishment to come upon you. Yeah? So it's interesting to note there are false teachers the judgment against four teachers is not because they actually go around talking about heresies, but it's also because they are promoting ungodliness. Uh, so that is very much in line with the theme of what Peter wants to keep telling us, right? We must continue to live holy and godly lives. How about the deceptiveness of uh, heresies? Right? What, what can we understand about uh, our vulnerability, and what causes us to be deceived. Peter says that these false teachers uh, entice us uh, by appealing to our lustful desires. Right? He also says the false teachers promise us freedom. Right? That's something I think we, we sometimes want, right? Freedom. We, we don't want to be stuck by so many rules and you know do this and do that, cannot do this, cannot do that. And sometimes it's, it's attractive, right? When people say, there's freedom, right? There's freedom. But unfortunately, this freedom, as, as God's word says, you know, uh, actually, they are also not free. They are actually entrapped by their own depravity, right? Okay. So the first two things, I look at you and I say that, uh, I'm, I'm, I think all of you will think, no, la, I'm not going to be enticed by, you know, all this. I know all this is wrong, right? Uh, how about this, you know? In First Timothy, it says, we can also be enticed if we have an unhealthy interest in controversies. Some of us could be like that, you know? We, we say, hey, there's this new teaching, there's this thing which I never heard before. There's some new insights, right? I look at it, and it sounds quite good. I want to take it on board, right? Uh, because I know things which other people don't know. You only see things from this perspective, but I see the bigger picture. And now, I am more enlightened than you, okay? So sometimes I think we can be caught in this, right? What is the latest thinking? What is the latest idea? What is the latest insight? When God's word sometimes is quite plain and quite clear. Then the Bible also tells us that sometimes we get caught up in some of these things because it is what we want to hear, you know? Uh, some things are a bit hard to accept, right? Sometimes we think about it, we say, sometimes we struggle. Why is there hell, God? You know, Why is there such a thing called hell? It's such an awful place. Why would you send anyone to hell? So we would like not to believe that there's hell. You know? But God's Word is very clear that if we do not accept Him and follow His ways, there will be eternal consequences. And actually, there are people going around and preaching, you know, uh, that hell is not really a real concept, you know. Uh, So, sometimes when we struggle with certain things in God's word, we can get prone to accepting things which are not right. uh, Because we really want to believe. We really want to believe that it's otherwise. Okay, but still, you know, you feel that, ah, okay, I will not be, be trapped by any of this, right? I mean, this is all very obvious to me. But then there's one more tactic. And the last tactic is we distort scriptures. You all are good Christians, right? You all read the Bible, right? So how do I get to you, right? How do I get you to believe in something false? How does the devil get you to believe in something false, right? Distort the Word of God, right? Tell you the Word of God actually isn't saying what you think it is saying, right? By saying something else, right? So the devil, we know in the Bible, is called the father of lies, he says that when he speaks, when he lies, he's speaking his native language. In other words, lying is his mother tongue, right? So, and he's very skillful at it, and he knows how damaging a false falsehood can be, right? So he wants, and and the best way sometimes to get to Christians is tell them that the Bible is actually saying something else uh, that you know you didn't think that you were saying, and therefore. When is you know I can justify uh, doing something which is actually not right, so these are things that we need to to watch out for. So maybe it's clear when we talk about some examples, right? Allowing people to have license for immorality was something that Peter was addressing at those days, right? In fact, when you read, you can uh, you read the book of Second Peter, you understand that actually one of the things that he was saying he was coming up against is this false teaching that says, you know, it's fine. You can continue to live your immoral life. It's okay, you know. It's fine. Uh, And we see this actually come up and up again and again. This deception is actually recycled many times through the church, right? Uh, At various points of time in the church, uh, the history of the church and of mankind, uh, people have fallen for this, right? Uh, In the early days, there's this thing called Gnosticism, but you see, it's not so easy to get you to, to get us to fall into something, right? We you must, you must give us something believable, right, to believe in, right? So, narcissism tells you that, you know, this is the way it works. The body is just a temporal thing; it's an earthly thing, right? Your spirit in you is the one that is going to heaven, right? So, the spirit and the body are different, okay? So, when you actually, when you do things in the body, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it is your spirit. It's going to go into heaven. So you say, mm, then it makes it easier for me to be able to do things which are not right because my body at the end of the day is going to be condemned, right? But my spirit will still go to God, right? So these are untruths that people are seeding. Uh, then there's this thing called antinomianism, right? It basically says that now uh, after you, you know, grace is enough. Uh, you just accept salvation by grace, And there's no need to worry about the moral laws anymore. The moral laws all don't apply to you, okay? Because salvation is by grace, it's by faith. So therefore, the moral laws are not necessary. You don't have to take note of them anymore, right? So it's very dangerous teaching because it causes us to go back to our old ways, which God is not happy with. And hyper-grace, okay? Hyper-grace, hyper-grace, is a relatively new thing, okay? It's going down our churches now. But I want to say that hyper grace is not saying that you have license to sin, okay? I just want to be clear about that. Huh? But hyper grace is teaching some things which are not very healthy, okay? Which again is, they are also saying that the moral law, once you accept Christ, right, the moral law doesn't apply to us anymore, okay? There's no need to confess our sins anymore, there's no need to repent. So if you are very firmly grounded Christian and you, you, know, you know the whole truth, you can accept that and you can still continue on. But for someone who may not know so well, you can be led down the path of error by focusing only on the grace of God but not realizing that there's still the holiness of God and there's still a need to live a godly life before God. And, the, and how has God shown us to live a godly life? Is through all His moral laws that He has given to us. Okay, another example uh, that maybe, you know, doesn't apply to our lives directly, okay, uh, but you may know people uh, who uh, live uh, different lifestyle. There's this thing that's going around and gaining quite a lot of traction, which is quite worrying, okay, uh, which says that basically, and this is coming from the church, okay, that says that same-sex, consensual, monogamous, as long as you're committed, sexual relationship is fine, okay? Uh, And they justify it by using scripture, okay? So this is how they justify it. They say Leviticus talks about uh, men cannot sleep with men, right? And uh, women cannot sleep with women, right? That's detestable before the Lord. But they say that Genesis, uh, no, Leviticus was written in the days of Moses, right? That was a long time ago. Nowadays, the context of our day is very different. Right? Nowadays, we have people who are gender confused. Uh, there are people with you know, sexual orientation which is different from just a man to woman, woman to man. Right? So the context nowadays makes whatever the Bible says in those days irrelevant. So that's their argument. Yeah? Then, the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis... And those verses in 1 Corinthians, some of those I read just now, they talk about homosexuality as a sin. right? How do they explain those away? They say, oh, actually, if you look at it, in all those contexts, in the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, it was a case of people wanting to come and forcibly uh, rape this man whom Lot was looking after. Right? And if you look at the other uh, verses, actually, it's, it was... Given in the context of the Roman society, where you know male prostitution uh, was rife, uh, you know, uh, was this exploitation of uh, boys. Okay, so all this that the Bible is talking about homosexuality is actually to do with exploitative sex. So that's only scope which it covers. Whereas if we have uh, same-sex consensual, uh, monogamous, we're committed, it is fine. Okay, so this is how they're explaining away some of these verses. And Romans 1, which says, you know, very clearly that God has given man over to his depravity and therefore he deserves the wrath of God. They're saying that, actually, if you look at it, uh, that portion uh, in Romans 1, uh, doesn't look like it was really written by Paul, you know, because the writing is a little bit different, right? Uh, And and they're, they're trying to explain it away. Okay, so you can see that in the church, Right? People are still trying to uh, come up with things that will make it believable. Yeah? That will make it believable so that we can accept some of these things which are not right before God. So this author, I think, says it quite well on this issue of same-sex, uh, consensual, monogamous marriage, uh, sexual relations. He says, The same-sex controversy at its core is a controversy over the authority and interpretation of the Bible. So the battleground has come uh, into the church and even into questioning uh, what is scripture really saying. So if I go back to that list just now which I shared with you, right, you can see it ticks all the lists. Right? It, it ticks the list because it allows us to appeal to the lustful desires of our human nature. It promises freedom, you know, tolerance. Uh, it's what the ears want to hear and it distorts scripture, right? What the ears want to hear, sometimes even for us people who are not into this kind of lifestyle, but even if we have friends, right? Some of us can be also taken in because we look at some of our friends and we, we also feel for them, that they are this way, and you know, and they cannot enjoy a normal relationship like us. So we also, in our, in our hearts, maybe feel that, I hope that actually this can be true. What these people are saying can be true. And so we can be lured into all this. But we must stand guard. Keep guard as Peter says. Okay, I'll skip this. Okay, so the last important point is defense. So how do we defend against all this? I think there are three things we can do. And actually it's our responsibility. Number one is we need to practice discernment, right? Uh, We need to be discerning. As, as Peter said, you know, you may think there's no false teaching now, but always be alert, right? Always be discerning. Don't switch off your discern, discernment function, <laughs> right? Uh, so that's for ourselves, to guard ourselves. Then Peter also says, uh, not, not Peter, but I think the other two important points is we need to also contend for the faith, right? It's not only just about ourselves, but we need to defend contend for the faith and lastly, we, we also need to help others steer clear of all these uh, false teachings. So defense, uh, sorry, practice discernment. How do we practice discernment? Number one, we must know what is the standard. Uh, we must be very clear and hold on to the standard and the reference point. Right. Uh, as we said now, there are many things competing to be the reference point on top of the Bible. See, the Bible says this, but there's this new, latest thinking which is more relevant, which is more up to date, right? So we must always remember that the Bible has been given by God for all seasons, right? Until He comes again, right? Nothing is going to outdate it, yeah. Uh, so we must continue to hold on to God's Word as a standard for truth, and we must know it well. And secondly, we must always have this Berean instinct. As, we said, as I said just now, we don't switch off our alert mode, right? We must always have the instinct like the Bereans. I think you know the story of the Bereans. The Bereans were a group of people in uh, Greece, okay, that Paul was preaching to. And they were very happy. It says here they, were very, they received Paul's message with great eagerness, right? By the same time, they examined the scripture every day, to see what Paul was saying was true.
1: Right?
0: As I look at this picture, I, I, I googled for this picture of Bereans uh, and I look at it I say, wow, actually, now when I look at the picture, I really appreciate it's not easy for them to check the scripture every day. You know, There's only one copy of the Bible, maybe in the synagogue or something. Everybody got to share. right? Not like us, you know, just whip out your handphone uh, and then you have all sorts of Bible versions you can check. Right? But for these people to check, they really had to make an effort to go and check. Make sure that what Paul was saying was right. Yeah? So we must always have this instinct on us. Even in our I think even in our own pulpit. Sometimes we could even say something wrongly at some point. Right? We must always check on one another. But if certainly you're listening to podcasts of other people's sermons, you are reading books, you know, we must always have this instinct of checking and making sure that whatever is being said corresponds to what the Word of God says. Yeah? And lastly, we must train ourselves to spot the counterfeit. Yeah? I think we have heard this story before, right? when people always talk about this truth, they say that you know, uh, truth, the, the analogy is like these people in the bank who are counting money. Right? And how do they train them to count money and make sure that they are, they are receiving all the right money and not counterfeit money? They train them, basically they start off by training them to identify what real money looks like, right? Uh, this is the, the watermark, you know, uh, the picture is here, this place, this is a serial number, this is the whatever. So they learn to recognize what is true before they can start dealing with what is fake. Right? So the more we recognize what is true, it helps us to recognize what is counterfeit or fake. I think we also need, at the same time, to be aware of what is the latest fake. Ah, right? So, for instance, is your PC antivirus software updated? Yeah, I'm sure we do, right? We do update it, right? Because we are worried about the latest virus wiping out our computers and whatever data we have there. So in the same way, I think the analogy is we must also be aware what is some of the latest uh, attacks against God's word. What is the latest attacks against what uh, the truth is, so that we can also counter this effectively. So practice discernment. The second one is content for the faith. And let's look at this verse, uh, this passage from Jude. Uh, Let's read that together. Jude. Content for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. So you can see Jude was actually also dealing with very similar issues. Huh? People were saying that it's okay to be moral, it's fine. Right, and uh, they're denying the Lord. So Jude, first thing he told them was content for the faith. So content for the faith. When I read that, it, it conveys to me this picture of this guy, you know, this Roman soldier ready to fight, you know. And that's actually what Jude is saying: be ready to fight, be ready to defend the faith. You know, it's an impassioned plea on his part. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there, hear something wrong, and do nothing about it. Be ready to defend the faith. There's this story that I read. Uh, a Canadian uh, family, the child, a uh, toddler, uh, accidentally went to take uh, some medicine that was lying around, some poisonous medicine, uh, and took it, and as a result of which, unfortunately, died. Okay? So the parents were giving an interview with the reporters okay, to say that, uh, you know, they want to warn other parents, please don't leave medicines around the house so that your kids can can uh, take it uh, and get into trouble. And I think this is a very good metaphor for us in the current day society. Okay, we, we, oh, I just want to open by saying that we live in a society of fake news. Right? There are so many variations of the truth. Right, uh, We can find them all such that nowadays we don't take things at face value anymore. Right, We have to check everything. And we are also You know, so used to having various variations of the truth at our, you know, in front of us, right? But there are also variations of lies, right? If there are variations of truth, there are also variations of lies, right? So we are so used to having all these things around. So sometimes we say that, okay, we hear this, we're not so sure whether it's right, but okay, just file it away, you know? Uh, And and worse, you know, maybe we could tell somebody else about it. Or we could all sit down and talk about this thing. And we just leave all these untruths hanging around in our minds, you know, uh, telling other people about them. And, you know, instead of chucking away this dangerous poison, we're actually just keeping all these things there, right? And one day, they could cause some problem to us, right? So I think we need to be quite relentless, chuck away the untruths. Chuck away the untruths. Don't leave them lying around. And in fact, Jude concludes by saying that, you know, we have to be at defending the faith. We also have to go to the extent that we actually rescue people who are going astray. right? So Jude says, just like a fireman, save others by snatching them from the fire. If you see people being uh, potentially harmed by false teaching, you should actually go out and save them, huh? not sit down there and do nothing. Okay. So, having said that, let's test, let's test you. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when you go to uh, church and you know and you hear something that eh, sounds a bit not right? Or what do you do? For instance, you could be even here. I, if I say something not right. What will you do? Just happily go back and say, "Okay, he's the pastor; he must know what he's saying," you know, or do you actually check against the Word of God? Very good, right? Or when you list, when you get a message sent by somebody, or or when your CG discussion and somebody says something that sounds a bit funny, right? Do we say, "Okay, that's, uh, that's interesting," and uh, let's move on, you know, or or do we tackle it and say that no, that doesn't sound right? And we, 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 when we get somebody, sends us some message, you say, hey, very interesting message, this new speaker from US, you know, and he says this, 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 and then when you listen to it and say, hey, something doesn't sound right. What do you do? Right? So, content for the faith means what? What do we do? I think Victoria was pointing very good at her Bible. So, we always check it back against God's word, Okay? As we said, we are very blessed to have God's word readily available to us and we have the Holy Spirit which is given to lead us into all truth. So we check against God's word. That is our standard, right? And if you still have a problem, you can always consult the elders or the pastors and uh, we can give you some guidance. But what we shouldn't do, right? What we shouldn't do is do nothing. As I said, do and just leave it be. Say, okay, that is another view. You know, uh, fine. Okay? And don't depend only on Google for the answer. (laughs) Because you can find any answer you want on Google. Right? You can find that the Shetland sheepdog (laughs) is a very good guard dog. (laughs) Okay? So Google is not reliable. You can find anything you want out there. Okay? So always come back to the Word of God. Okay, finally, we have a responsibility not only to take care of ourselves, but we have a responsibility also to train the next generation. Let's read uh, these verses together. Ephesians 4, 12 to 14. It says, To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the word waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So you can see that this is something that is told, of course this is something told to the, the pastors and leaders of the church to equip. But after you are equipped, it is also the responsibility of all of us to build up the church, right? to build each other up. So we are supposed to come alongside, teach people what is the truth, correct people when they are hearing something that is wrong. Huh? So we must do this for one another. Okay. So three things to, to build our defense, practice discernment, contend for the faith, don't be passive if you hear something wrong, right? and train the next generation. And train the next generation, can I offer a few practical suggestions? Huh? Uh, I think if you've been a Christian for a long time, huh, uh, one good way, actually, is to be involved in discipling others. Okay? Uh, that's a very practical way of training somebody else to be firmly grounded in the truth. Uh, this can be various ways. You can volunteer to say, I'm willing to be one of those people who follow up new Christians. Right? I'm willing to be one of those people who take people through baptism class. I can be willing to help out in the CG more. Or I can be even willing to be a CGL. Right? These are various things. Some of you are already doing that great. For the rest who are not doing that, consider doing that. Huh? The best way to disciple. Otherwise, we say, yes, this is good, but what do we do? Right? And the advantage, the blessing that you will get when you disciple someone else is that as you go through the truth the second time, or the third time, you find that it grounds you a lot more. I, I remember when I was <laughs> trying to take somebody through there, I realized, eh, well, if this person asks me this question, then I don't know how to answer, that, how so I must go and do my research and make sure that I'm more grounded in the truth, right? So you'll find the benefit of discipling someone is that you yourself will get even more grounded in the truth. Yeah? Okay, can I just invite us to just rise? And let's just, just come before God and, and, and say, God, you know, you have, I've heard your word today. Yeah? What do you want me to do with it? Right? How do you want me to respond to your word? Let's pray together. Lord, we have heard your reminder from your word today. Your warning, actually, through your Apostle Peter. Teach us, Lord, to respond. Respond to what you have told us. Teach us to be part uh, of the solution, Lord, to build up one another in the faith. Teach us to be part of the defense so that we can contend for the faith together. Teach us, Lord, to love your word, to grow deeper in your truth, oh God, so that we are well-grounded and will never fall. We thank you that you have given us, Lord, everything, as your word says, that we need for living a godly life. We thank you that you have not left us without resources. You have not left us uh, you know, helpless. We thank you for your word, that guides us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given to us, our Counselor, the one who leads us into all truth. So teach us, God, and help us to continue in the way of following you, to live godly lives pleasing unto you. We commit ourselves to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.